thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Part here at the exchange is we are here to equip you. We are here to edify you, to build you up. And when you leave here, that's how you should feel. You should feel charged up. You should be. You should feel recharged. And and so, um, in that happening then go recharge somebody else up, all right? Don't just keep that to yourself. Uh, Go recharge somebody else up. What you have received, freely give, amen? Amen. So um, I want to invite everybody, if you would, get your phones out. Go ahead and check in uh, at the Exchange Church on Facebook this morning. Uh, Also know, hey, we're on the Gram Right there, look at that. And we're on the the tweets, the Twitter. Go check us out right there. Oh, yeah. So this morning, hashtag give Mills. My children are trying to crawl underneath the chairs right now because dear old dad's always embarrassing them. But they're, they're used to that. Um, we are going to continue a series that uh, Pastor Jared started last week called The clarity of happiness. And I asked you to say happy, happy, happy. Listen, all of us are on a journey for happiness. Whether you know it or not, you have have a void inside of you. You're always looking for happiness. You're always looking for joy. You're finding some way to find happiness. And so we're looking into, in this series, what makes a person happy. We um, we, we're trying to find out how do you find happiness. And last week, we discovered that there is not a thing that can make you happy because happiness is more about a who than a what. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to think about that. Happiness is more about a who than a what. Listen, if things could make you happy, the world would be full of happy, happy, happy people, right? So happiness is more about a who than a what. And my story is that I grew up my whole entire life. I have been in the church of Jesus Christ. I just, I just have. My, my family is, is Christian. My mom and dad were Christian. Their mom and dads were, were Christians. They came from different denominations, but uh, we've just always been in church. We're, we're from the South. We're from Texas. Uh, we're from West Texas. And, and so it was just kind of everybody went to church. And if you didn't, you were probably, you know, just some kind of horrible person. Everybody went to church. And so that's where we were. We were in the church. And I had this, this mentality, just like Pastor Jared kind of mentioned last week, is it, it was taught to me in the church. When I think about happiness, I was taught this. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. 
Anybody ever hear that before? Raise your hand if you ever heard of or this. Ever, okay, a couple hands going up. If you never heard that, then you are lucky, okay? But this is what I was taught. I, I literally had people that I looked up into in the church. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about youth leaders. I'm talking about my pastor, evangelists that came through and taught me this idea that there was a dichotomy. There was a split. There was a divide. That you can't be happy and holy. It doesn't exist. You're going to have to make a decision in life, Kevin. You're either going to be a good Christian and be holy. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to be one of these people that looks like they're sucking on a lemon. It looks like, man, they are just ready to get to heaven as quick as possible because this is something that we endure. This life, there everything, because I was taught everything that brings you happiness is sin. It's wrong. This is, this is what I was taught. I, I was just taught that, you know, that really his song for my life was, if you're happy and you know it, repent. Because if you're happy and you know it, you're doing something wrong, Kevin. You need to get away from whatever that is that's making you happy. You need to make a choice. I'm either going to be Christian or I'm going to be happy. And in this series that we're going through, guys, we're here to tell you that that couldn't be any further from the truth. That's just plain false. The person that that told you that or told me that, that God doesn't want you to be happy, he wants you to be holy, didn't have a clue. Listen to me. That person was, was in, a, in a place of mixture in their mind, a mixture of the old covenant and the new covenant. They weren't able to interpret scripture correctly. And there was something going on inside of them where they didn't have a proper understanding of the too good to be true news. Listen to me today. You can be happy and be a Jesus follower. It is possible. God created us. He is the creator of all things. He created each and every one of us in his image. He created you and me. And when he did, he created us with the capacity for joy. He created us with a capacity for happiness. And it makes no sense for God to create us with a, such a, a, an extraordinary capacity for that joy and that happiness and not want for you and me to want to fulfill it in this life and not want to fulfill it in a relationship with him. And so today as we move along in this series, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say in his most famous sermon of all time, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he really starts to address what the question, the question what, makes, what makes people happy. When Jesus is talking, you're going to see in this Sermon on the Mount, and uh, because it is the most popular and famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, you're, you're going to just go, I know that right away, because he's going to say over and over, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, uh, it, what we call in the church the Beatitudes. And I want to show you for just a second 
The Greek word for blessed is the word makarios. And when you translate this out, it actually means fortunate or happy. Everybody say happy. So a translation of this, we could read this actually when he says blessed are, and I'm about to put these scriptures that we, we find Matthew telling us that I heard Jesus say these things. And when we see the word blessed, you can actually put in the word happy there. And so Jesus in this message, he's about to say, this is what happy people do. This is how happy people should believe. If you want to be happy, this is what you should do. Here is what you should think if you're looking to get to this place of happiness. In fact, if you are not a Jesus follower, if you don't even believe in Jesus, I would tell you today, even if you're not a religious person, these words are so extremely rich and so extremely wise, it's hard to argue with his logic. I would start listening and applying what he says if you want to be happy. And at the end, what we're going to do in this message is we're just going to step back and we're going to ask the question, what do all these things have in common? There's going to be eight things that we're going to look at today, and they all have something in common that are going to lead us to a brilliant insight about happiness that you can either today just start to embrace. You may already be embracing, or you're going to find yourself for the rest of your life just kind of butting your, your, your head up against. So, Let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, get them out and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Get your Bible app. That's pretty easy just to jump into. If you don't have that, you want to just follow along up on the Sky Bible today. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded that Jesus was in this story. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw... The crowds. Everybody say crowds. So when Jesus was on this earth, there were three groups of people that were always following him. One was the crowds. It's a wide group of peoples, multitudes and multitudes. Sometimes it was thousands. Sometimes it was hundreds. Sometimes it was fifties. Um, there was also another group of people. It was his disciples. That was a closer closer group. And then there was still even another inner circle inside of his disciples. And we're going to see right here that the crowd, there was a crowd, and he went up, Matthew tells us, up on the mountainside. And Matthew says, I saw him sat down. And then his disciples came to him, and Jesus sits down, and he begins to teach part of the inner circle, his disciples. Now, this is the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. In fact, it's repeated the content over and over of what he says in this. And it's, it's pretty interesting to me what he chooses, the topic he chooses to preach on. And the topic he chooses to preach on is being blessed or, or being happy. Everybody say happy. So let's look at verse 3. This is what he tells them. He says, blessed or, or happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And right out of the chute. Right off the top, guys, right here, Jesus addresses one of the biggest myths as it relates to happiness. You've probably heard that rich people are happy, 
right? Well, he says, listen, it's not that rich people are happy, and it's not even that poor people are happy. Jesus says rich people aren't happy, poor people aren't happy. Let me tell you who the happy people are. Let me tell you who the blessed people are. He says it's the people who are poor in spirit. Okay, pastor, well, what what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's to acknowledge that no matter where you're at in life, no matter how much you have, no matter how little that you have, a person that's poor in spirit is acknowledging that they're completely dependent upon God in every area of their life and every single minute and every single day of their life. Let me give you, I'll put it up on the screen for you, a more uh, a definition for, you can take a picture of it, you can write this down. People who are poor in spirit are people who embrace their daily dependence on God regardless of what they have. The poor in spirit, it doesn't matter if they have little, it doesn't matter if they have a lot, or they're somewhere in between. It's people who on a daily basis say, God, listen, I am, it, in my life right now, I am dependent upon you. And in And it doesn't matter if I have more today than I had yesterday or less than I had yesterday. I am dependent upon you. Those are the people who are poor in spirit. They live every single day dependent upon the heavenly father. Because here's the thing. And some of you have learned this the hard way. I know that I did. The moment you put your trust in your riches instead of him who richly provides, that moment you're unhappy. That's a good place to say amen. I'll say it again. The moment you put your trust in riches, instead of the one who richly provides, that is when you are unhappy. The moment you transfer your trust in your life from the heavenly father to your riches. And by riches, I mean it could be the opportunities that you have in your life or you could transfer your trust to from God to your education or to what you have right now or to what you own or to your business or what, what you've recently borrowed for or to where you live now or to what you drive or to all the stuff that you've now presently you know, uh, uh, build your self-esteem around. The moment we transfer our trust from him to that type of stuff, at that moment, you become unhappy. I remember years ago, I was pastoring this church, and there was a couple that started coming to the church, and they were recently married. Both of them had been married before. Um, They were in their late 40s. They were a mixed family. She brought in um, three daughters into the marriage, and they were just struggling to, to, to get forward in this new journey. And, man, they just took to the church, and God started working in their lives, and we started discipling them. And I was just so excited about how quickly they were growing, how quickly they were maturing, uh, she jumped into leadership. She started to be on the worship team. She started to really help a lot in our women's ministry. He really took to our men's ministry, and I started to personally disciple him. And things were just really moving forward at a at a rapid pace for them. Um, they were ministering to their their friends and their family, and and I can remember there there was just a season of happiness for them. 
a season of peace for them that they hadn't, they hadn't had before. Now, this wasn't a season of no tor- turmoil. It was that they were able to get through the things of turmoil, like um, just with dealing with these were her kids, and they were having discipline issues, and her kids were getting in trouble at school and getting in trouble at home and how they were working out all those things. And it was, it was hard for them to deal with those things. And he was wanting to help discipline them and, and work all those things out. And it was, there was just peace there as those things were being worked out, and, and, and there was happiness in their home. There was peace in their home. And um, a, little, a little background, both of them come from very rough backgrounds, very, very rough backgrounds, um, backgrounds of, um, one, the, the man came from backgrounds of, of drugs and, um, violence and, and all, all types of different things, but they were just in this great season, and, and, and I remember that he had to go and see his family over the holidays, and, and so, he was going to leave his wife and his, his uh, stepkids there, and he went. And here's the thing. Where, where we lived, there just wasn't a lot of jobs, wasn't a lot of opportunities, and they always struggled financially. And when you struggle financially, that does bring on stress. Well, I get a phone call from right after the, the, the holiday break from the wife, and she is in complete turmoil, and she says, my husband, I don't know what I'm going to do, my husband is in jail, and I was like, what are you talking about, this is one of my guys, man, this is one of my leaders, how did he end up in jail, well, he went back to his family, who was uh, down closer to this area, and a way that his family would make money very quickly and very illegally was, um, and he just, he just saw his family, and they were telling him, listen, man, he, you know, I know you need some money, and the way we can make some money is we could go, uh, they were Hispanic, we would go across the border, and we can smuggle in some people, and you can make six G's like that, and he just, he just couldn't say no to that, and so he tried it, and he had done this in his previous life a lot of times before and never got caught. And this time, he got caught. And now he's in jail. And she's like, we were barely making it before. And now he was going to be in jail. She didn't know for how long, but it was going to be at least several months. And so I remember going and seeing him in jail. <laughs> and he is just, he's just beside himself. He's just, he's so embarrassed. And he couldn't even talk. A grown, you know, he, he was mid-40s probably. And he was just, I'm so sorry, Pastor. I failed you. I have failed God. I failed my wife and my family. I just repent. I just, I needed the money. I needed the money. And I told him, I said, listen. And I opened up the scripture. I said, let's, let's go, let's look at Paul. And I said, Paul was able to have joy and happiness even in prison. And I said, I won't say his name, but I said, I think you can have it here. And I said, I, because here's the thing. You need to understand that all these years, you've been looking at yourself as your provider 
for your family. But actually, God is your provider of your family. Ultimately, he's your provider. And I said, God's going to still continue to provide for your family. He wanted to use you to do it, but you messed up. And you're in jail and you can't do it anymore. But he's still going to provide. He still loves your family. And I said, that's what I'm here for. I'm your pastor. I'm your family. And we're going to step in and we're going to help this out. But listen, we love you. And you just need to know, ultimately, that God loves you. God forgives you. You need to learn how to forgive yourself. And you can find peace in this jail. That just made no sense to him. He didn't listen to me at all. He's like, oh, I'm just so sorry. Just I just don't get it. So I just told him, let me pray for you, and I left. Went back to his wife. And I said, listen, let me tell you. And she was the same way. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? What are we going to do? I, I, just, I just don't know how, how we're going to be able to do this. I said, listen. I told her the same thing. I said, you've always looked at your husband as your provider. But he was never your provider. God is your provider. Now, the way that God was providing for you was through your husband. And then he messed up, and now he can't do that anymore. But God's still going to provide. And, and, and listen, she, was, she didn't mind. She worked, too, all the time. But there was just this income. But anyway, we came, we came in that place, and we partnered with them. And I'm telling you, in that season of their life, I saw him, he was in jail for, I don't know, was it five or six months? And I saw a transformation to him get to this place where he became poor in spirit. And she became poor in spirit. They both came to a place where they started to realize that they were put, they had, they had put their trust in their riches. They had put their trust in themselves. They'd put them trust in the, the situations and the circumstances that they were in. And, and, and listen, I'm telling you, God didn't do this to them to teach them a lesson. It was just an opportunity to be able to show them. And I went in, and all of a sudden, I remember going in, and all of a sudden, I would, I would talk to the jailer, and he was like, man, he is the best uh, inmate we've ever had here at the, like, he he does stuff that we don't ask to do. We, he started having privileges that they had never given to uh, before. He, he was just like, who is this guy? And he has such a great attitude. He was happy in jail. He learned. He was just like Paul. He was ministering. He, and then he would tell me, he would be like, hey, can you bring me some more materials? Because I've actually started a Bible study here with the, it wasn't a very, because we were in a very small area, and it wasn't a very, very big jail. There's only like five other guys in this jail. He was like, I've started a Bible study with these guys in jail. And then I would stand in front of the church, and I'd be like, hey, brother so-and-so, I want you guys to be praying for him because he is ministering to these young men. And as they come in, he's, he's ministering to them, and they're sending out. He's changing their life. He feels like God has a plan for him while he's in jail. How can you be happy in jail when you were smuggling people across the line doing something that you knew you shouldn't be doing? Guys, he became poor in spirit. He got it. He got it, right? And his wife, who 
now she was looking at how are we going to be able to pay my bills and all these different things. And a lot of people in that situation, it would have led to turmoil. It would have led to divorce. It would have led to just this horrible situation. Well, she didn't leave his side. The church, we came alongside them. We did fundraisers. We uh, came together. They did made tamales. We, did, we sold tamales. We sold enchilada plates. We helped them pay their bills. It all got done. God provided for them a different way. But guess what? Their trust wasn't in themselves or in this guy. It was in God. And when that happens, that's being poor in spirit. And that's happiness. Listen, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's good preaching. Amen? Amen. Then he says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you know who are the people that... That mourn. Mourners are the people that are emotionally connected. They are the people that recognize what's going on and they don't hide or run from the fact that there are bad things that happen in the world, that there are things that are unjust that happen in the world, that there are randomness, right? In the world, they are willing to, to walk into the moments of reality. And, and face the moments of death and sorrow and grief and, and, and stay there and face these things full on and embrace these things and, and embrace the fact that death, guys, death is a part of life. It, 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 just, it just is. And this is what Jesus was getting at. And this is something that I've learned in my life. And I want you to write this down and I'll put this up on the, the screen for you. But fear of dying will rob you of the joy of living. A lot of people struggle with this. Fear of dying will rob you of the joy of living. Fear of death will rob you of the joy of life. And I can tell you that who this was written down for in the first century, the first century church, um, they did not have a fear of dying like we do today. They just didn't. didn't. It wasn't a part of their, of their mindset. That's why the early church, they had more of an emphasis on the resurrection and not the crucifixion because there was a promise in that to them that all died in Adam, but all were raised to life in Christ. That it's what Paul said, oh, death, where is your sting? That we shouldn't be afraid of death. Listen, fear of dying will rob you of the joy of, of living. Ultimately, it robs you of your happiness of if you're, if you're afraid of death. And Jesus says, let me just give you a clue. Happy, blessed, happy are those when they are faced with the fact that this life comes to an end, who are willing to face it, who are willing to feel it and embrace it, and there are are into willing to endure it and be a part of it. He says you will find contentment and happiness there far more than if you spend your life trying to pretend like it's never going to happen and trying to avoid it. Then he says this, number five, blessed, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Everybody say meek. Okay, this is not a word that we use a lot today in our modern vernacular, do, do y'all throw that word around a lot? Meek? 
is it a word that you associate something, you know, good with? In fact, we don't use it a lot because we, it's always associated to me as negative, right? Like, when I was a kid growing up, I never, it wasn't on my list. When I grow up, I want to be meek, right? I have three daughters. It's not on my list of, you know, you need to marry a meek man, right? On the list is marry a guy with a job. That's on the list. Meekness is not one of that because why? Meekness in our culture just because you if I asked you what it was, you probably couldn't even define it to me because we don't use it. Meekness is equated to weakness, right? So if I said, you know, is, is he a, are you dating a meek man? And you're like, is he a weak, you know, is he a weak guy? That's what it would sound like. But listen, Jesus equated meekness as very powerful. It's a very powerful thing. And here's what meekness is. I'll, I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's a good definition. Meekness is a proper estimation or valuation of oneself within the broader context of God's creation and love. In other words, meek, a meek person is a person who faces the reality about who they really are. A proper estimation of yourself. A proper valuation of yourself. That they are, here's the thing, that you understand that you are a part of God's creation. That you also understand that God is up to something in this world. This is a part of meekness, okay? You're a part of his creation. You understand that God's up to something in this world. You understand that you're a part of that. And that makes you feel valuable, Okay, this is a part of meekness, but that you're not the center of it. This was a big deal for me to understand because I took on in my journey to happiness and my journey to understanding my identity as son, my journey to sonship, understanding my relationship, son to father, father to son. And, and many of us still struggle with this right now. I was in a position where I was not a son. I, I saw myself as a slave and him as a ruler. That's where I was, and some of you are there right now. And so I, was only, ha I only had value, as much value as what I could do in the kingdom. If I wasn't doing anything or advancing anything, I had no value. So a lot of times I didn't have any value. That's why I preached the way that I used to preach. I was very manipulative. I did lots of altar calls and made people feel like they were pieces of turds all the time and just worms so that they would come down. I could actually see them come to an altar, convince them they weren't saved anymore, convince them to do another sacrifice in front of me, and I, that made me feel good because I could measure this. But, and I could tell God later that day, didn't you see what I did? And if this didn't happen, I didn't feel like I had any value. Does that make any sense to anybody? Um. If I wasn't giving enough in the offering, this is what was taught to me growing up. If I wasn't giving enough 
I didn't have any value. I was a slave. I was working for, for my value. I was working for my, for my, my self-worth. And, and so I also felt like I was so important that if I made one mistake, that it, I was taught this, my road to heaven, my journey, the will of God was a straight line. And then if I made one little bad decision, hmm, Kevin, it seems like one little bad decision right here. But if you just continue on that road, seven years later, look how far off you are. And that my one bad decision was so important that literally we're talking about hundreds of thousands of souls burning in a conscious torment forever. And I couldn't sleep at night over these, this, this type of stuff. I don't know if any of y'all ever taught that or thought these things, but this is the things that used to keep me up at night that I don't believe anymore. But when you get to a place of meekness, you understand that you are a part, you have a proper evaluation, evaluation that you are a part of this thing that he's doing that's awesome. But you are not the center of it. He is. And if you make a mistake, he's bigger than your mistake. He just is. His grace is bigger. His mercy is greater. He's a God of restoration. He's not a ruler and a dictator. He's a father. He's a father that loves us unconditional. So listen, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is simply acknowledging God's estimation and evaluation of me based upon who he created me to be and within the context of God's broader creation. He says, you want to be happy, Kevin? Embrace meekness. Embrace who you really are. Embrace your real value. And then he goes on to say, verse 6, is this good? We're doing good today? Amen. My wife said yes, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> verse 6, Matthew tells us this is what Jesus said. I heard him say it. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, that's good. Because he said they will be filled. Another way to say this is blessed are those who are committed to doing the right thing. That's a good place to say amen. Because it just makes sense when you think about it. I mean, isn't it true that when you did the wrong thing in a relationship or when you did the wrong thing at work or in any area of your life, isn't it true that doing that wrong thing did not lead to happiness? I mean, isn't it true that your greatest regret it wasn't when you did the right thing. It's when you did the wrong thing. I mean, it, this is just kind of a common sense thing that Jesus said. But isn't it true your greatest regret was the time when you knew the difference between wrong and right and you decided to do the wrong thing and you want to now go back and redo that thing? I mean, I doubt there's anybody here today that would say, oh, if I could only go back and redo high school, man, I would get into way, way more trouble. 
man, if, if I could only go back to my first year of marriage, I would be even more of a manipulative, controlling jerk to my wife. No. Isn't it true that our greatest regrets stem from the fact that we knew the difference between right and wrong, and we chose unrighteousness? Isn't it true that the thing that we drag around, that we wish that we could erase from our mind and we could erase from our lives were the decisions that were the wrong decisions? And all of those regrets and all of those wrong decisions, guys, they come down to one thing, identity. When you don't know your true identity and you forget your true identity, that's when you sin. That's when you, what Pastor Jared said last week, you miss the mark. And when you sin and you miss the mark, sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to death. When you, but when you rest in faith in what Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf and you accept your identity that you are already in him, completely loved, completely forgiven, completely redeemed, completely justified, you then will naturally hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's like the story that Pastor Jared talked about last week of the prodigal son. The problem with the prodigal son is he had an identity crisis. He forgot he was a son. And he forgot that he was a son, so he stopped acting like one. He started doing things that he had never done before. He had never done these things before. He started doing things that he would never do. And then, though, it says when he came to his senses, this isn't what I do. I don't want to cause destruction. This is not how I'm made. This doesn't make sense. I've come to my senses. But in the story, he never ceased being a son. He just forgot he was a son. And the wrong things that he went around doing, they did not create happiness. They created destruction. What created happiness is when he went home. Is when he embraced his father, when he embraced his identity as a son, when he put on the robe, when he went back and put on the ring, he went to the party. And the wrong things that he went around doing did not create happiness. What created happiness was being in his father's house, was embracing his identity. This is my story. And I, I'll tell you this, it, it was the church that convinced me I wasn't a son. It was the church that for years convinced me that I wasn't righteous. That continual sacrifices, that there was still a system, there was still an old covenant, there was some type of mixture that what Christ did wasn't enough for me and that I still needed to do this confession to him and, and, and this ritual thing that would only last to the next week until I could do it again and another sin and then do it again and I finally realized that I can't be holy and happy so why not just go try to find happiness because I don't I can't be this thing and then I ran and I ran out there and I tried to do all of these things that I thought would make me happy 
and what I found out on my own. Nobody came to me. There wasn't a person that came to me and said, stop doing these things. I came to my senses. I went to my wife one day, and I went, I have to stop doing this, or we're going to get a divorce in the first year of our marriage. And she said, yeah. And I said, I think the answer is in the church. And she said, I think we need to give that a shot. And so we went on this journey. And on this journey, I found this good news of great joy for all people. And I found that I was a son. And I found that I didn't want to hurt her. That that was a natural, that inside, it wasn't coming from out of me. It was coming from already inside of me. I was thirsting and hungering to do her right for righteousness. And when I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't like to hurt her. That just didn't make sense to cause destruction to her because that doesn't look like kingdom. That doesn't look like my father. See, it doesn't, it's, there's not like a switch, guys, that happens that we, can, we could, at the end of this service, we could have an altar call and get you all guys to come down here and pray a secret prayer that fixes the whole thing. It's a journey that you walk out. We walk out our salvation. This thing is walked out, and it, 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 it makes sense as we do it. As we, we go, oh, no, that doesn't work. That causes destruction. Television tells me that's what would make me happy. Culture tells me that's what would make me happy. Those people at, at, that are my friends at work these things, they look like on Facebook and on the gram. They look like they're really happy, but when I tried them, it didn't really make happiness. It only led to destruction. Or I actually didn't even have to try them. I saw it. It was only fake. It was leading them to destruction. And when I've been walking out my own walk and reading these scriptures, understanding what real love is, being equipped at the exchange, walking this thing out. Does this make sense, guys? We And listen, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled, he says. And you know what it leads to? Happy, happy, happy. Let's see where we're at. Verse 7. How are we doing on time? We're doing good. Blessed, he says next, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Everybody say amen to that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me put this in Kevin, Pastor Kevin's terms. Happy are the relationally generous. Happy are those who give people exactly what they don't deserve. Because we've been given exactly what we don't deserve. Happy are those who aren't seeking 
revenge. Happy are those who forgive. Happy are those who don't hold grudges. Happy are those who put away bitterness. Happy are those who are not waiting to be paid back from somebody in their past. Because, listen to me, you have never met a happy, 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 bitter person. You've never met a happy, happy, happy person that holds grudges. Right? They don't, they don't exist. You've never met a happy person who's waiting to get paid back from somebody that did this one thing to me years ago. But what you have met is these people that have gone through these extreme circumstances. They have been through extreme injustice. They have been done wrong. They've been put through circumstances that you wouldn't want but put on your worst enemy. And somehow they've emerged on the other side of this, and you're looking at this like, how are you so happy? How do you have so much peace? It's because they have shown Mercy to those people, and they walk in mercy. They're happy. When you scratch beneath the surface of that person's life, you discover these are men and women who understand what it means to live life relationally generous. They decided to extend the, the, to, to that person that did them wrong what they don't deserve. They decided to extend to their the, that, that family member that hurt them, what they don't deserve, that, that boss that has been doing them wrong, what they don't deserve. They were relationally generous, and even though they were, they were never paid back, even though they never got to exact that revenge, even though they never got an apology, even though that person that offended them never owned up to what they fully did, somehow this person is happy. And Jesus said, I understand this, God. He said, blessed, happy are the merciful, for they receive mercy. And this is brilliant, but this is something that we all so quickly forget. And then he goes to the next one, and this one might be my favorite. I think it's my favorite because it doesn't get enough attention because Jesus teases us, and he makes, he makes a statement, and it, it's, it's like... He says this, like, would you like to see God? We were talking to this year, Pastor Jared, about clarity. And he's like, would you like clarity beyond anything that you've ever had in your life? Would you, would you like to recognize in your life where you have tough decisions, what you need to do in relationships? Would you like to have clarity on what you need to do in money and, and your future careers? Would you like to see clearly as possible as anybody can see? Would you like to see God is, is what he's saying. He says in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Everybody say pure are the pure in heart. He says, for they will see God. They will see God. I, I just think that's one of the most profound statements. They will see God. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because in all these years of being a pastor and my experience with counseling people, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people and over and over they have said the same thing. Pastor, I just don't know how I allowed myself to get into that. 
why, they say, why didn't I see it coming? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so naive, pastor? Why didn't I have clarity to to, to stay away, to to say no, to get up and leave, to walk away? Well, here it is right here in verse 8. If you're looking for clarity today, if you want to see, write this down. Purity leads to clarity. I mean, think about it. Think about water. Think about pure water and think about water that's not pure okay which one has clarity which one can you see through and which one which one doesn't it just makes sense all these things that Jesus is saying makes sense right and Jesus says blessed happy are the pure in heart as you embrace guys the finished work of Jesus and and you being in Christ and Christ being now in you as you embrace his unconditional love, his unending mercy. The natural response, guys, is purity, is having a pure heart. I'm talking about moral purity. I'm talking about ethical purity. The decision to allow the same love that you have received now to flow out of your heart, to allow the same forgiveness that you have received to flow out of your life. Purity leads to clarity. I'll say it again. Purity leads to clarity. You wonder why you don't have clarity right now. A lot of people think, well, you know what? I'm just missing out. I'm missing out. I need to, I need to get, I need to try that, that thing out. You're messing up the purity, which is messing up your clarity. Does that make sense? Why can't I see? That's why you can't see. It just it, These things just make sense. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see. They will see God. Jesus keeps on going. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The people that make peace, people will say of them, those are the children of God. Wow. And it's because this, because God makes peace with us. That's his heart. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. His message to the entire world is, you have favor with me. I'm at peace with you, right? And when we make peace with other people, guess what we're doing? We're acting like our father so people recognize you're the children of God. Woo, good preaching. Amen. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. Guys, I want to be a peacemaker. This is the path to happiness. What's the opposite of a peacemaker? A troublemaker. We don't like it when our kids are troublemakers. But a lot of us relationally are troublemakers. A lot of us at our jobs are troublemakers. Well, they just need to know, Pastor. They just need to know. I got an opinion. Okay, okay. How's that working for you with your happiness, though? Why are you so stressed out? Why are you joyful? Mm-mm, less. Right? I mean, I mean, just this stuff, it just really makes sense. The opposite of a, trouble, of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. How many happy troublemakers do you know? 
it's because troublemakers are not happy and they thrive upon people that are happy taking their happiness away. They want everybody to not be happy because they're unhappy. And Jesus says, look, there's no happiness found in troublemaking. There's happiness when you are a peacemaker, when you bring peace into people's lives. Here's my way of saying it. Happy are the reconcilers. Happy are the people that are willing to walk into a relationship that is broken and the relationships that are being broken. And and, and then you bring peace into those situations. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the reconcilers. And again, doesn't that just make sense? When you think of happy people, aren't they the reconcilers? Aren't they the peacemakers rather than the troublemakers? How did Jesus know this? Because he was the prince of peace. So we'll finish with this. Number Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Hold up. Jesus, time out. Happy are people that are persecuted times out that does not make any sense they've all made sense we've all been y'all have been tracking with me until now blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven it just doesn't seem like persecution brings happiness In fact, it seems like persecution brings hurt. Have you ever been persecuted before? Have you ever felt what it feels like to be be persecuted? So what is Jesus saying here? How can you be happy when you're being persecuted? Well, listen to me. and this, This will make perfect sense when you understand what Jesus is saying. See, you can be happy. Because he said this, he didn't say when you're persecuted, period. He said, those who are persecuted for doing something right. Aha. See, you can be happy when you're persecuted for doing the right thing. Because at the end of the day, you have peace in your heart. And you have peace in your mind. Because although you were persecuted and that hurt, you know you did the right thing. You pursued righteousness. Right? But if you are persecuted, if you receive persecution consequences for doing something wrong, you do not have peace in your heart. You do not have peace in your mind. You, it does not equal happiness. It does not equal blessing. Does that make sense now? Absolutely. And so Jesus says, think about this, guys. In this life, you are going to be persecuted. You will be mistreated. Do you want to be mistreated for doing the right thing, or do you want to be mistreated for doing the wrong thing? He says, blessed, happy are those when the persecution comes from doing the right thing. I found this to be true in my life, both ways. Years and years and years ago, 
Once upon a time, 20 years ago, I remember I, I had my first job as a graphic artist straight out of college. So I'm 41 now, and that was 20 then. And we just started changing our lives around. Church, things were changing. And I was starting to stand for something. started to ask me to do things that were unethical. And so it would be, as a graphic artist, there's laws. You can't take a, a trademark, a registered trademark, and then put it on something and resell it and make money off that without somebody else's permission. companies that do that but ethically morally that's wrong and I was very sensitive at the time and he asked me to do these things and I told him I'm not going to do that and he said if you want a job you're going to do that I said I'm not going to do that I don't believe in that that's wrong and he said to think about that because if you won't I will find somebody who will. I lost my job so I was persecuted I lost my job I lost, I lost my income for my family did that feel great feels like. Hallelujah. No, it sucked. But at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, at first it hurt. But when I rested my head on my pillow, I had peace in my heart. And I was happy. And God opened another door immediately at a better Y'all heard that story before. A Christian company, and I won't tell the whole story, but it was unreal. The benefits and all the things that I was promised at the company before that I never got. It was more, it was more pay, all the benefits. It was, it was unbelievable how it all worked out. So, blessed, happy are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. don't put me in the hall of fame of doing the right thing because I could actually be on the hall of fame for doing the wrong thing that's how you learn that's how you find your identity in Christ I've done so many things and felt the persecution and the consequences of my sin miss the mark. And when I 
laid my head down at night, that I have peace, that I have happiness. against you and they do remember your sin so we need to make things right when we have persecution for doing the wrong thing listen he who is without sin cast the first stone right where sin abounds what did Paul say grace doesn't just abound he said super abounds in our minds but God runs to our sin so after this unbelievable sermon the sermon on the mount this is the way that Jesus Jesus ends this and before I put that up on the screen I want to ask what's the common denominator out of out of all these Happy, 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 happy. What do we take away from this? The, the conclusion is this, guys. And I'll put it up on the screen. Happiness is an outcome. Happiness is a result. Okay? Happiness is not something that's immediately accessible. In other words, listen to this. You sow and you reap your way to happy. I'll put that up on the screen. You sow and you reap your way to happy. If we were all honest today, we could say this. I have sown and I have reaped my way to unhappiness. Right? If you're if there's certain situations, and I'm telling you, there are there are dichotomies. And there are sections of our lives. You may have a place of happiness in a relational part of your life over here. Say at your job, you're good. You have happiness over here. But as far as your relationship with your spouse, negative, Ghost Rider. Right? Or say right now in your relationship with your spouse is good, but your relationship with your children, there's not happiness. Right? And so... Listen, happiness is an outcome. You sow and you reap your way to happy. If you don't have happiness in any of these areas of your life, what have you been sowing? As far as all eight of those things that we just talked about, have you been showing mercy? Listen, there's great news today. You can sow your way out of those situations. Your identity, the way that God sees you, is already set. It's already set in stone. You're a son. He loves you. Favor, peace. You have favor with me. You have peace with me. It's just for you to start to see that and operate out of that and start to say, you know what? 
I can sow my way to happy life. I can decide now to embrace meekness today. Amen? I can decide to be relationally generous to my children, to my spouse, at my work. I can decide to be a peacemaker. I can stop being a troublemaker. Is this going to happen overnight? No, you are going to be a troublemaker tomorrow. And all of a sudden, ding, ding, ding. And the prodigal came to his senses. This is how it works. It's a process, not a destination. And then you go, okay, I remember what Pastor Kevin was saying. And it's not going to come from out here to in here. It's going to come from in here out. And you're going to say, this isn't who I am. I'm not a troublemaker. God says I'm a peacemaker. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, you're going to open up the gates and allow peace to come out. And you're going to say, I'm sorry for causing trouble in that area. I apologize. I confess my sin so there can be healing. Can we make this thing right? You put the ball in their court, and then they go, yes or no. If they say no, that's okay. Give them their space. Don't manipulate them. Let them have their time. But you did what you could do. You can decide today by God's grace from now on, if it costs me, I don't care. I will be a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I am going to embrace my true identity. I am going to embrace purity. I will embrace sonship. I will allow the kingdom of God to flow out of me because I'm going to be a reconciler and not a divider. Happiness is an outcome. It's a result. You reap your way and you sow your way to happiness. At the end of this, it's crazy to me. This whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends it with this story. This parable. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And y'all all know this. Therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. Right? It's not that you say it was really good, Pastor. I wrote this down. Oh, that was a really good message, Pastor. My wife really needed to hear that. No, 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 no. Not even if you agree with it. Oh, I agree with that. No, 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 no. You got to put it into practice. You got to sow and reap your way to happiness. He says, if you do, you're like a wise man who builds your house on a rock. The rains come, the stream rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. And listen, 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 listen. It's talking about building a house. Let me let me make a point here because I was I was not taught this growing up. How long does it take to build a house? Can we build a house in a day? understand that if you've ever seen something built and something built well it takes time it's a process so he's talking about building a house it's like a man who built his house on a rock we're all building our house on a rock if you hear these words But then what's the other part? If you don't, it's the sinking sand guy. The winds came and the storm came. 
remember the pastor always says, don't be the sinking sand guy. You're looking at a sinking sand guy. I've done it. I've done it. And the father doesn't go, you stupid sinking sand guy. gracious to us. You're so powerful that you could crush us and you didn't. We thank you this morning because you're a good, good father. Love, love, loves us. And as your sons and daughters we see your love and how you've done everything out of love and you've gone before us and in a response to your love, that's already inside of us and that mercy and that grace. I just declare as a leader in this house for it to flow out of us. Just let the rivers of God flow out of us so richly that it 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 causes an effect and a change in, in the lives of 